Well, good morning, church. If we haven't met before, my name is Amber Brown, and I'm the family pastor here at the city. Uh, my husband, Wade, and I, we've been married for almost 10 years, so that means about 11 years ago, I finally let him out of the friend zone and allowed him to date me, and then we got married, and now we have three beautiful children. Our oldest, this is Emmy, she'll be seven in May, our middle, this, or our youngest, sorry, Jewel, she's right here in the middle. She just turned two at the end of January. And then this little guy, he's our middle. He's a true middle child. And if you've heard me talk before, I give him a lot of flack, but because he's so cute, look at that little dimple, it keeps him out of a lot of trouble. And he comes by all this very naturally. He's stubborn. He gets that from his mom. And so I think ahead to the teenage years. And how is he going to make it out alive? Anyone have a kid that you're worried about the future for? I was definitely that angsty teen. Anyone else? No one? Oh, okay. I see a few. I got like a hand in the back. Okay, good. I, my father and I, we butted heads a lot because my dad is the origin of all the stubbornness that is within me and that is within Rowan. And I remember uh, my middle school summer, I was probably 13 or 14. My dad brought me out to our front yard and he's like, I'm going to teach you how to mow the grass. And I looked at my dad and I said, no, (laughs) because I knew that with great power comes great responsibility, right? I knew that if I learned how to cut the grass, that I would forever be responsible for cutting the grass. And at 13, 14, my laundry list of chores was already long enough. And so I didn't want to add this and take away from the summer that I had planned. And here's the thing. My dad somehow let me survive through that moment. So I'm here this morning to teach you guys a lesson that we are going to be responsible for. Jesus is is going to give us a word that basically we need to apply here and now and live through. And what I've loved about us being in the book of Luke and, and studying verse by verse is we've got to see Jesus be born, right? He comes into ministry. He starts raising up the disciples. You see miracles. And now we're in a time where Jesus is starting to teach really important truth. Recently, Wade and I were watching a documentary on Disney Plus about the cruise ship, the Disney Wish. Has anyone ever been on this cruise ship? It's phenomenal. If you watch this documentary, you will want to go on a cruise. But I've never seen how they build a ship before. And I'm thinking it's similar to a building where you start at the bottom and kind of work your way up. But that's not how they build a cruise ship. They do start with the bottom, but then they actually build in segments. So the architect architect has this wooden model. And he has these pieces that are magnetized that he could pull out because that's how the ship is built. Even like the rooms are prefabbed somewhere else and then brought in. They're already made when they like basically pop them into the ship. And I thought, oh wow, how much is that like the word of God? Like you could pull a section out of this cruise ship, like say a restaurant and it could function independently on its own. But when you put it back into this ship, it is this grand and beautiful thing. And it's so true about the word of God. We can take a section out of it and look at it and really apply it to our lives. But isn't it so much more grand when we look at it as a whole? And that's what I've loved about looking at the book of Luke is because we can think back to what Jesus has already said and we can look forward to what he's going to say and it'll teach us these really important truths. And now this morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is a parable, but it's going to look not like any other parable we've studied before. And how many of you remember the story of Little Red Riding Hood? 
Okay, a few of us. So you probably remember the basics. Little Red has to go to her grandma's house. She's sick. She's got to take her uh, some food. But her mom gives her specific instructions. She says, whatever you do, don't stray from the path. Go straight to grandma's house. Well, while she's on the path, she encounters the wolf. And he says, well, maybe you should stop for a minute and pick some flowers for your sick grandma. And Little Red says, what a great idea. So the wolf, he runs off and he goes and he eats grandma whole. And he sits in the bed. And this is probably the story, part of the story that you remember. Little Red gets there and she's like, oh, what big ears you have, what big eyes you have, what big nose you have, what big mouth you have. And he says, all the better to eat you with, right? And he snaps her up. And then now this is the part where we sometimes forget. A huntsman hears the wolf asleep in bed and he's snoring. And the huntsman goes in and he cuts the belly of the wolf open and Little Red and Grandma pop out. This is a great place to end the story tuck your kids into bed, kiss them goodnight. Love you, see you in the morning, right? It's this shocking story, but there's a lesson to it. We're supposed to learn, hey, don't let strangers influence what you do. Don't listen to them. Don't let them have a word in your life. And so the same is true for our parable today. It's gonna be this shocking story where I read it and you're gonna be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is Jesus saying? So I want you to remember Little Red Riding Hood. Shocking, but there's an important lesson for us to learn. So if you would, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. The verses will be on the screen this morning. We'll read together. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came to that manager that, or sorry, one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world and around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. So last week we looked at the prodigal son who basically was wasting all of his inheritance. So this week, we're gonna look at a prodigal manager. He's wasting what has been entrusted to him. And the funny thing is, is that both of these men were wasting what has been given to them, but what, not, what has not been earned by them. How many of you in this room have kids? A few of us. So here's the thing. Kids have no earthly idea how much things cost, right? When we go to the store, I have the, mommy, I want, mommy, I want, mommy, we need this. And recently my daughter was telling me, mommy, I really want us to move into cousin Jen's house. So my cousin Jen has a pool in her backyard. And this is my daughter's motivation that if we move into her house, we will get to have the pool all the time. And I explained to her, Emmy, that pool costs money. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, there's chemicals you have to put into the pool to treat it. There's a guy that comes and clean it. You have to pay him. And you know what? The water that you put into that pool costs money. And that 
blew her mind. She was like, water costs money? Yes, every time you brush your teeth or flush the toilet or we do the dishes, that water costs money. But she had no earthly idea because she doesn't earn money, right? She doesn't have any use for it. And here's the thing, you and I would know if somebody gave us $1,000 versus if we earned $1,000, which one would be easier to spend? The given, right? It's a free gift. You get to take it and you get to spend it. And so it's so much easier for us to do. So this manager has wasted his employer's money. And so the employer finds out and he says, hey, I need you to get your report in. Come and tell me what's been going on. And so he has to, define, he has to come up with this plan. And, and here's his thinking. He says, I'm too weak, right, to dig. And I'm too proud to beg. And it really made me think of that meme. that's like, I'm too pretty to work. Like he's able to spend money that's not his own, but he's unwilling to actually work for money and be in a position to take care of himself. So what does he do? He says he has to come up with this, this interesting plan. And here it is back verses four through eight. It says, and I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill, quickly change it to 400. And how much do you owe? Take the bill and quickly cut it to 80. And the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of the light. So he says, I know I'm gonna lose my job. What am I gonna do to secure my future dwelling? Make sure that I have a place to stay so that when I have no more money, I have something to do about it. So he says, okay, you owe 800, let's cut that in half. Now you only owe 400. You owe 1,000, we're gonna take 20% off that. Now you only owe 800 and now I am secured, right? I have a place with these people I've made friends with. So this is not even money that's owed to him. It's owed to his boss that he had already cheated out of money. And what does he do? He cheats him out of more money. And here's the shocking part. What does his boss say? He admires him. It's so funny. I love that translation where he calls him a rascal, but he was so shrewd in what he had done because this worldly boss is going to praise this worldly manager for his worldly wisdom that gave him a worldly result because you and I know that people of the world are going to act like people of the world. We can't expect them to act like believers. We can't expect them to be honest when they know what dishonesty will bring about, right? If you're caught in the lie, what are you going to do? You're gonna cover up the light. We see that Adam and Eve in the garden, what do they do? They're revealed, they're naked, so they have to cover up. And when Jesus, or when God comes to them and he says, where are you? They're hiding because it's what we do. It's our sin nature. We're, we have to cover up and we have to hide. And now here's the shocking part for us, right? Are you ready to cut the grass? Are you ready to learn, to learn this lesson? In verse nine, this is what Jesus says. He says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So Jesus uses this bad behavior from this bad example. And here's what you and I are going to learn today. Children of the light should be as concerned about spiritual things and about our known future as children of the world are concerned about their worldly things in their unknown future. You and I know what awaits us. If you are a believer, we know what happens when we die. We will spend eternity in heaven with God. But here's the thing. Worldly people are sometimes more concerned with their unknown tomorrows than you and I are concerned with what we know is coming. 
How crazy is that? We have to be as concerned about what's coming as what they don't know what's coming. We should use the resources we have to purchase friends for heaven. We need to sow our seeds so that we will reap a spiritual blessing. In Luke chapter 12, if you'll think back, there was a man who had a crop and it was overly abundant, right? And what did he do with that crop? He said, Oh, I'm going to give it to people. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to tear down my old barns that aren't big enough and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can actually store up more stuff for me. And you know what God says? He says, you fool, you're going to die tonight and there is no one here to inherit what you have stored up. There is no one here to inherit what you have stored up. What crazy behavior. And if you think back down Jesus tells us, hey, what are are you supposed to do then? What do we do with all the stuff that we have? Jesus says, you're supposed to store up your treasure in heaven where where (laughs) moth and rust cannot destroy, right? There's a place where things live on for eternity and there's a place where we should put those things. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So if all you value is in eternity, all your desire will be for eternity too. Let me say that again. If all you value is in eternity, then all your desire will be for eternity too. Joseph Stalwell says this. In fact, the pivotal reality of Christ's kingdom is eternity. As the eternal king, Christ eclipses any temporal authority in our lives. People become our highest priority because only people are eternity. I heard Roswell say it. Y'all say Amen. People have become our highest priority because only people are eternal. Their eternal destiny is the driving issue in Christ's kingdom. Since it is his kingdom, it is managed by his eternal values that evaluate giving over getting, serving over being served, people over things, love over self, forgiveness over hate, and meekness over revenge. We know that people are eternal and it's the only thing that we can bring into heaven with us. Can you look at your neighbor? Say, I'm bringing you with me. Look at your other neighbor say, I'm bringing you with me. Now, I do not know if all dogs go to heaven. That I cannot, uh, I'm not smart enough, I'm not studied enough to tell you that. But what I can tell you is that you can bring those people with you to heaven. And we should be using our time, our energy, our resources, our finances, all that God has blessed us with to bring people with us into his kingdom. That manager was able to use what he had to secure a dwelling. You and I should use what we have to not only secure our dwelling, but future dwellings for others as well. Here at the city, we talk about and statements. We are a church of grace and truth, word and spirit. We wanna win over hearts and minds, but we're also about here and there. Jesus told his disciples to make disciples of all nations. He, we want to know that the we want to be sorry the workers Jesus desires to use us to make disciples here in our homes, through our city groups, and in our city, and there amongst unreached people groups. We seek to mobilize every disciple of Jesus to be fruitful and multiply and become a disciple maker here or there. We should be pushing forward, whether it be here. Maybe you're not called to the nations. That's okay. But you have giftings that you can use here and now. Or maybe you are called to the nations and you want to go and share the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing because we know that at the end of this, we're supposed to reach people for eternity because eternity will be all that we have. Eternity will be the only thing that we have. Let's keep going. Let's look at verses 10 through 15. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But you are di- if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, 
who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. So if you're a believer today, like I was saying earlier, we know what awaits us. If you believe that Jesus died, was raised from the dead, you know that future that's coming. We have been bought with a price and here's the deal. It was free, it was a free gift. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn our salvation. But after we receive Christ, there are things that you and I are called to do. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to move. You shouldn't just be sitting here on Sunday morning coming to hear a message and then go live your life like, life like you have no idea who Jesus is or what he's done for you outside of these doors. If you think back to a couple months ago, Clayton talked to us about the Bema seat. And this is actually the first time I had heard this. So when you and I go before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not like what we think. It's not a courtroom where Jesus is gonna sit in the judge seat and he's gonna declare you guilty or not guilty. We already know that we are not guilty if you are in Christ, right? But what he is going to do is he's going to look at you and he's going to see what have you done, done with the gift that's been given to you? What have you done after you received Christ, after you're walking in salvation? So think about it this way. If you and I were building a two-story home, we put all of our time, our energy, our effort, our resources into building this beautiful home. We get it all ready. And one day we're on the second story of this house and we start to smell smoke. We look down and we realize that first floor is on fire. And what do you do? Well, you're going to have to jump out of your second story window and then you're going to stare and look back at your home being burned. And so it's this mixed emotion of, okay, I'm glad that I'm alive, but now I have to watch all that I've invested in be burned. And that's what the Bama seat will be for you and I. We will either watch as what we've done, what we've worked for here on earth be burned up and maybe only our lives are spared or we'll be proud. We'll say, oh Lord, I, I did this for you and for your kingdom and for your glory and we'll be rewarded for that behavior. So my first question to you this morning is, are you faithful with everything that has been given to you? So is all you're gonna invest in, will it, will, will it withstand the Bema seat? Notice how Jesus says in the passage, if you are faithful or if you are dishonest, it's not about how much you have. It's not about whether you're rich or poor or what percentage, it's if you are faithful, you will be faithful. And if you are dishonest, you will be dishonest. If you'll think with me ahead to Luke 21, there Jesus encounters rich people dropping money into a collection bin and he sees them give and then he sees this widow who is poor and what does she do? She's gonna drop two coins and do you wanna know what Jesus says? He says, she has given everything she has. There's obviously a drastic difference between what a rich person would give and what she would give, but he looks at those two coins and says, she's given everything that she has because she's faithful with what's been given to her. Now, you might be thinking, well, what do I have to offer? And I want you to know that normal things can be used for supernatural purposes. I think about when I was in fifth grade and my Sunday school teacher, he really helped me understand the word of God and developed my love 
for the word. And then I think about uh, my high school pastor and how I had visited church one week and then the next week when I returned, he remembered my name. And that for me was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, cool. I, I like it here. He, he, that guy, he remembered my name. He's important. He remembered me. Or I think about my Sunday school teachers that taught our senior class that they constantly opened up their home to us. They gave us the, the world's best advice. I mean, I would still call them today if I needed to know something. Or I think about one of the ladies that would bake these gigantic cinnamon rolls before our Bible studies early in the morning. And so we had breakfast that day. Or I think to my first job and my ministry assistant, Sally, and all the wisdom and advice she had for me. Now, some of these people stood on stage, right? But not all of them. And here's the thing. They weren't always directly preaching the gospel to me. They played maybe small and even seemingly significant roles in my life, but they had such a huge impact They changed the trajectory of who I am because of these things that they did, because they offered their time to me, because they offered their talents to me, because they offered their wisdom to me, because they loved me and they cared for me. And I just want to challenge you today. Who in your life can you be offering those things to? It doesn't have to be money. It can be your time. It can be a talent that you have. It can be your ability or inability that God can use. He can do great things. And don't ever doubt that God has the ability to bring his super into our natural, that he could use those natural things that you have, worldly resources that you have to do great things in his kingdom. So are you being faithful in the small things? Are you using all that you have to advance his kingdom? Let's look back at 13 through 15. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve God in money. He says you cannot. There is this big distinguishing factor. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus wants us to know that money's a neutral party, right? But the love of money is the root of all evil. When we become consumed by the number that's in our bank account more than we're consumed by people that are entering eternity, we miss it. And we, over and over again, we see the Pharisees, they're more concerned with their position and their power and their prosperity. And they're totally missing the son of the living God who is right there before them. Their eyes are so fixed on this world and what this world has to offer them that they can't see that the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's come for them is there. Uh, When I was in college, I read this book uh, from a girl. Her name is Katie Davis. I don't know if you've heard of her before, but she has a book. It's called Kisses from Katie. And when Katie was a senior in high school, she went to Uganda on a mission trip. She was there for three weeks and she fell in love with the country. So Katie decided after her senior year, instead of going to college, she was going to take, take a gap year for a year, but she promised her parents she would come back to college and finish and get her degree. So Katie spends the year in Uganda and comes back and she's devastated. She loves Uganda and she doesn't want to give up her life there. And she r- slowly realizes she's become really disenfranchised with the American need for extravagance. She goes to the grocery store and she's overwhelmed because there are so many choices. If you've ever been to a third world country, you know that the market is very, very small and limited. So when you go to like a Walmart, it can be overwhelming when you've come back in 
Or she looks at the million dollar homes that are around her neighborhood and she gets really discouraged. And even just the lack of thankfulness that people in America have for all the things that we've been given and entrusted with, she just becomes so disenfranchised. But most importantly, she reflects on herself and this is what she says. But what has been the biggest shock to my system, the huge disconnect, is that I have stepped out of my reliance on God to meet my needs. I miss Jesus. He hasn't disappeared, of course, but I feel so far from him because my life is actually functioning without him. By functioning, I mean that if I'm sick, I go to the drugstore to the doctor. If I'm hungry, I go to the grocery store. If I need to go somewhere, I get in my car. When I need some advice or guidance, I call my mom or go plop on my roommate's bed. If I want to feel happy, I get Brad, my little brother, or someone else to make me laugh. I keep forgetting to ask God first to heal me, to fill me, to guide me, to rejoice with me. I have to set aside time to pray in the morning and at night instead of being in constant communication with him. In Uganda, I was so physically poor. I was completely dependent on God and, his, and as spiritually wealthy as ever. And as I sit here writing, I'm frustrated with my own stupidity, my human willingness to step back into dependence on stuff and these places I swore I detested. So many of us are in this place where we are functioning without Jesus. We are missing the son of the living God because our eyes are so fixated on our bank account that we don't even need to trust God anymore for his provision, right? We, we've been so consumed and, and, and so trained really by the world that it's all about what I can get for here and for now that we've lost sight of eternity. Tony Evans says, either your money will serve God or you will ask God to serve your money. Are you asking God to serve your money? Are you actually using it for his kingdom? When Jesus said he came to give you life and life abundantly, he wasn't talking about stuff, y'all. He wasn't talking about all the things we can bring into our home. And when he said, drink and be thirsty no more, he didn't mean he was gonna satiate our appetite for everything in the world that it has to offer. And we haven't been blessed with every spiritual blessings to lock ourselves into our perfectly designed and perfectly decorated homes. We have abundant life. We are the wellspring of life and we have been blessed to bless others. When Wade and I moved back from Washington, D.C. to Lubbock, we were really worried about finding a church home. The, the culture on the East Coast is if you go to church, it's actually a sacrifice. It's not like here in the Bible Belt. Sorry if this hurts anyone's feelings. It's not like in the Bible Belt where we just do church. It's like it's a part of it. In the East Coast, it's like you have to give up brunch because that's what everybody does. <laughs> but people in that building want to be there. So when we came back to Lubbock, we were worried about finding our church home. And we came to the city one Sunday morning and Clayton was talking about uh, how God and politics don't mix. And I was like, what? Are we in Lubbock, Texas? <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever heard a pastor say that here. <laughs> like, it's just here, it's kind of this combined thing, like God and country, woo, but no, not Clayton. And so we were, we were intrigued by that. And then later we came back and Fred was talking about Hope City and all the work that we do at the Lubbock County Detention Center. And I was like, wow, this church is actually ministering to people here and within the prison system. That's so powerful. But then we came again a Sunday in December. And I remember we were like sitting over this section and we were still in pews at that time. But Brandon was like, hey, you know, it's been a really hard time of years. This was December of 2020. And he said, we just wanna recognize some people in this room. And so we called all the single moms 
to the center aisle. And Brandon just said, if it's on your heart this morning to give, we want you to come bless these single moms. And I was sitting in my seat thinking, oh, like, this is nice. Like, what a cool thing for this church to do. And as the band began to play, I was overwhelmed because the amount of people that got up, it was like not one, two, three, the entire body came and they blessed these single moms because that day and that morning, those moms meant more to this church than any dollar amount that people had. They weren't worried. I mean, it was 2020. We were all financially strapped. It was Christmas time. Like we should be thinking about ourselves, right? But they saw these moms and they were moved to generosity. And here's the thing, people. We have to be willing to hear God receive from him and then be moved with our money. It's what Tony Evans said. Don't ask God to bless your money. Use your money to bless those around you. It should be us moving toward compassion, toward generosity. Lord, here I am. You've given me this. You've gifted me with this. How can I use it for you? How can I stop thinking about myself? How can I bring people into eternity with me? So here's my final question for you this morning. Are you living to leave an earthly legacy or in light of eternity? Clayton says this phrase all the time, in light of eternity. When I was 30, after my 30th birthday, I don't know if this was a midlife crisis, hopefully not, because that would mean I only lived to 60, but at 30, I realized, I look back to the past decade, and I realized I had had this checklist, and maybe I was unaware of it, but it was like, okay, graduate college, check, find a husband, check, get a good job, check, buy a house, check, have a kid, check, get a better job, check, get a bigger house, check, have another kid, check. And it was all these things that I was accomplishing in and of myself. And none of them were inherently bad, right? I worked at a church for goodness sake. Like that's not a bad thing. But I was so focused on the here and now. I was focused on my plans and my dreams and my future that I had stopped focusing on eternity. I had stopped thinking about his plans and his purpose and his people for my life and had been minimized down to this checklist. So I just wanna ask you, have you lost sight of eternity? Are you living for earthly things? Have you prioritized your comfort and your time and your talents to do things for you? Or have you been moved to do things for his kingdom? You need to show up. If you're a believer, you need to show up. Use every gift that God has given you to bless his kingdom. Because can I confess something to you? When this is all said and done, I don't wanna live a life where I've checked everything on, off of my list, but done nothing for God's kingdom. At the end of it all, I don't wanna have checked everything off of my list, but never accomplished anything for his glory and for his kingdom. So just like that manager in the story, we've been gifted with something, right? We have been given a free gift and you and I can use it. We can decide hey, maybe I don't want people to know what I have, so I'm gonna conceal this gift that's been given, me, given to me. Or maybe I'll bring it out and show it occasionally, but never actually open it in front of people. Or maybe you'll open up your gift and you'll use it for yourself, for your, for your own glory, for your own kingdom. But let me just tell you, we've been gifted with something because there's responsibility that comes with it. Some of you in this room, your kids need this gift. 
Your husband, your wife need it. Your kids need it. Your neighbor needs it. You have a family member that needs this gift. And here's the thing. You get to decide what you're going to do with it. Are you blessed to be a blessing? There is a responsibility that you have. We will go before the Bama seat and Christ will say, what have you done with all that I've entrusted you with? So this morning, it's just our hope and our prayer that you will use everything that you've been given for his glory, for his kingdom, and for eternity that waits. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I just thank you, God, that you have given us more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us recognize where we've been holding back. God, how we've been selfishly hoarding our time, our talents, our finances, whatever it is. God, and I pray you would convict us. God, that if we're supposed to be serving somewhere within this church, God, that you would push us toward that place. Lord, if there's something we're supposed to be doing in our job, God, that we would do that. If we're supposed to be inviting people, God, whether that to be to Easter or to this party in the park that we're gonna have, Lord, I pray you would put those people on our hearts. God, but more than anything, I just pray for each of us that we'd be living in light of eternity. God, that at the end of our life, we wouldn't look at all the things we checked off our list and be disappointed because we didn't do anything for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name I pray, amen.